0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Well, first of all, Happy New Year! Happy New Year. It's uh, you'll be pleased to know that last night we had a, a really exceptionally good. Uh, crowd here last night, and uh, and just to let you know that that, uh, and for you who are sitting and fanning and we'll get it cooled off here a little bit. Get that door open and crack these two side ones a little bit. The people over there will ha- get frost on their underwear for a second, but but that won't hurt because it really is a little too. And I don't know what's too warm. I checked the temperatures on the on the thing, and it said it was. Uh, Said it's 68 and 69, 68 up here, 69 back there. So it ought to be comfortable. So I don't know. I think what happens on occasion, though, is when the front doors are left over and, and the air comes in, it, it affects the sensors. But I'm guessing about that. I don't know. Uh, before they get here, let me explain to you that this morning uh, I'm going to introduce to you two young men uh, from Uganda Uh, They'll be going to Kentucky Christian University pretty soon. And uh, to let you know that... Where are the singers? Turn these things off. We got music coming through them from... Uganda or somewhere I don't all right all right Patrick you and Eddie come on up here and uh, uh, there comes mama okay it's gone now Tommy oh good for you this coming year we're going we're doing some things here at church just a little bit differently and uh, we're cutting back on anything other than just two or three things. We're gearing up to get you all to participate in both evangelism and, uh, and discipleship. We're just going to focus on those two things. We're going, we've set the goal of bringing to our church in the year 2016... 100 new families and we'll have to have your help for that and we'll be asking you just week after week have you invited anybody make sure we get to meet them blah 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 blah, blah. you'll ask them to get them enrolled and we will then the following week we will be visiting them as a follow-up and uh and and we're looking we're, we've set a goal of hundred baptisms for the coming year uh, we're going to change the music is going to be changed just a little bit as we go each week. We will be incorporating at least one hymn that con- that that complements the sermon, along with some of the praise music that we're. And and you'll you'll uh, it'll surprise you that many of the young folks have to learn the hymns. They don't know them. Just as it's been a kind of a pain in your posterior to learn. <laughs> Some of the, the the praise music, why it is going to be something they have to learn for that, so uh, I want to mention to you also, and I don 't do this very often, but this past week, this past Monday, a, a fellow that most of you don 't know passed away. His name was Tony Watt. He usually came, Tony came on Saturday night, sat back there on the back row. If i wasn 't preaching after the music he left, he said i 'm not going to listen to anybody that's uh, that 's just the way it was, he was a, but he was uh, he was a funny little fellow, but a real war hero in Vietnam. He was a sniper by training, but he was a small man, probably five five, guessing, and he had porked up a little bit as he 's gotten older into his 70s but Tony was the guy that... See, the Viet Cong were really good about uh, digging caves and uh, tunnels and so on and so forth. He was the little guy that was the first one down that tunnel. Most of them were booby-trapped. Some of them had deadly snakes there uh, that were put there on purpose to protect the entrance. But he was that guy, and he survived... But he had tales to tell you that would curl your hair. And, and I listened to them, and I loved him. But he, he died. He was he'd raised Catholic. He, he really enjoyed a good sip of, of whiskey. And, uh, and when I wasn't looking, he did it. But if I'd have been looking, he'd have done it anyway. So that's, that was Tony, and, and I, for one, will miss him. Um, but I wanted you to know what the, um, uh, what the plans were. Now, let's see if these things are live. Yeah, okay, here you go, there. Here we go. This is Patrick. Uh, Patrick is, uh, how old, Patrick? 23 years. 23 years old. He went to uh, Good Samaritan. That's a school and a... And a uh, uh, a wonderful school and, and an orphanage there in downtown Kampala. He's accompanied by another young man with a, just an absolutely effervescent grin, and his name is Eddie. How old are you, Eddie? 22. He's twenty-two. Now, the reason those ages or it would surprise you a little bit is that they look younger. Both of these fellows do. They're excellent students. They were selected from a larger group to come to America and to study at Kentucky Christian University, and uh, with the generosity of the university, and uh, and contributions from you all, their their way is paid, and uh, they they were brought. Uh, they got here last. Let's see, the thirtieth. They came. They got here the thirtieth been living with Alice Kay and me, and then just as soon as possible while they'll be enrolled at Kentucky Christian. They're already pre-enrolled, but they'll be going over there preparing to be preachers of the gospel and teachers of the Bible when they go back to Uganda. So we're tickled to have them. And the reason I wanted them up here, these boys really love the Lord. And they want to be Bible teachers and preachers of the gospel. And Uganda is one of the countries in Africa where one of these days, they probably will be sending missionaries to the U.S. Because the gospel there is welcomed. Alice Kay and I will be leaving this coming Friday teaching a Bible conference at Destiny Village of Hope. Uh, And the reason we go in December is the children, if they have a distant relative, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, whatever, there to go visit them to keep some kind of a family tie, and that's required by Ugandan law. That opens up the beds there at the, and so then they'll bring in a thousand people, 500 she'll be teaching, 500 I'll be teaching uh, <clears throat> there at the Bible conference starting uh, week, after, week after, next week really. Well, we get there on the 9th, I'll be preaching at the church on the 10th. And then the following Wednesday, the Bible conference starts. Now, I want you to listen carefully as these young men explain to you just in a few words. This is important. Listen to them carefully. The core values that Alex Metalla, their teacher and their mentor, teaches these young men. Listen carefully. Now, fellas, together, explain to us this congregation, your core values as taught by Mr. Mattel.
1: Jesus in me, the Holy Spirit in me, the one of good in me, education in my head, and money in my pockets.
0: Now, did you get it? Isn't that great? That's there. So, I want you to get to know... Eddie and Patrick, they'll, I want you to be a blessing in their life, because they'll be going to Kentucky Christian, but they'll be coming, they'll be spending the summers with us here and weekends with us uh, from time to time. So let me have the, go ahead and be seated, guys, and, um, and Alice Kay, where are you? Is she Come up here. I told her, thank you, thank you fellas, that... Uh, One of the things that we're doing this year is we're really emphasizing Bible study for both the men and the women. Andrew has already mentioned it. I told Alice Kay uh, that I'd like for her to give a little special pitch for the women, and then we'll dive into the sermon. At the end of the sermon, there's a song that we'll be singing and, uh, and you'll, we'll, you'll know why we're singing it. And it'll be a congregational hymn. It's not a performance from the platform. It's something that you all will have to sing with us, okay? So you can do your little pitch there, babe. Isn't she a good looker? Man, oh, man. I... You're handsome,
1: too. That's
0: what I was hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> THAT SOUNDS EXCITING TOO, (laughs) YEAH. (laughs)
1: We listen to God at this time. But this is about Hosea and his faith in God. We're going to meet every Thursday for seven weeks, 10 o'clock in the morning, for those of you who don't work, and in the evening we meet from six, and we're usually here from 10 to 11.30, and six to 7.30. And another thing you get from Bible study, though, is you get to meet the women of all ages. You get to have fellowship. And you sit here and you see people who all walk out. want this year to be a year for your connected, connected in the values of the Word of God. And I'm going to put in a special little pitch here. Pray for Scott and I as we teach this year. For us to teach three full days, standing up in that heat, we can do it. (laughs) So pray for us, please, that we will be able to give them words of wisdom, help them grow in the Word, and live for Christ. Thank you.
0: Pray for the airplane pilot. (laughs) Thanks, Alice Kay. Okay, what we're doing here this month is we have taken questions from the congregation. What would you like for us to address from the Bible that you'd like to hear the answers to the questions? The first question that was posed, and I don't remember who did it. I don't think that's important, was why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many divisions in the body of Christ? So what I've done is I've gone to, uh, because I've dreamed, when, I, when I, this church first started, I dreamed that there would be a day when, when Bible-believing churches, because there are churches who don't believe the Bible is true, now, you can't, we don't have anything to talk about. But for the many denominations that believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God, breathed by the Holy Spirit to the, to the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and it is the way that God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to our hearts. Those churches would get together maybe once a quarter, whatever, and we would sing and give testimonies and, and have someone come from out of town. So there's, because there's been so much comp- silly competition among churches, that it would be a testimony to the lost world. The one thing that Jesus prayed for more than anything else was for his followers to be one. That the body of Christ. Now let me read that for you before we start, uh, before we look into the book of, of, of uh, First Corinthians in particular. Here was Jesus' prayer, the longest prayer of any, of the longest talk of anything that we know he said, is recorded by John, and it's 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 a prayer, and here's just a snippet of what Jesus prayed, starting to. Verse 20 in chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The world might believe comes as a result of there being unity among God's people. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus is praying for the church. But the reputation of the church historically has been one of division, infighting, jealousies, arguments. You know, I've never seen anyone saved that came to Jesus Christ as a result of an argument. You can't argue someone into the kingdom. If anybody gets into the kingdom of God, they're going to have to seek the Lord and find him. And the Holy Spirit is going to have to make clear to them who Jesus is. Do you know what the New Testament says? You know, everybody, everybody here probably, if we were asked you, would say, well, I love God. But how does, what does the New Testament say is the way that you show that you love God. Now, historically, too many times we have said it's by going to church, it's by giving money, it's by doing good deeds. All of those things the New Testament teaches are good. But the way that you show, according to the New Testament, the way that you show that you love God is by the way we treat each other. Now, let that soak in. Because anything else I say won't mean much if you don't buy that one. The way we prove we love God is by the way we treat each other. Should start at home and then go from there. But the church, the reputation of the church is that there's sometimes more fellowship in a bar than there is in a church building. I got an amen last night from an old bar hop. He knew what he was talking about. So what I want you to do, if you have your New Testament with you, is, is we'll go to the, the book of 1 Corinthians. And the reason I chose 1 Corinthians is it will be just really obvious. Because in 1 Corinthians, we see all kinds of divisions. When you start in the chapter 3, there's a lot we could read, but I'm trying to pick the, the, the passages that make it the clearest and the easiest for us to, uh, to make our point. And the point simply is this. You and I can start getting it right. We can't, we can't make other churches do anything and shouldn't even try. But we can start with us. Here's what happened in the church. The divisions were there from the very beginning. Here's the way it reads starting at chapter 3. Brothers, and by the way, in, all, in spite of all their fussing, feuding, and the fighting, he still refers to them as his brothers in Christ. I could not address you as spiritual, which means a spiritual person is an individual whose primary influence is the Holy Spirit. That's a spiritual person. He's governed, and that's the term, governed by the Holy Spirit. The old King James word, walk in the Spirit, means to be governed by the Holy Spirit. Now listen. I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. What's worldly mean? It means that even though we've accepted Christ, the old influences of our past life are still more influential in our behavior than the Holy Spirit. That's a worldly person. Saved, yes, but you can't tell by looking. So I don't know what your past life was. Most men I can speak for, most of us are governed by wine, women, and song, and and you can pick the one that you were governed by the most. Men are visual. We like to see a classy chassis and we're influenced by that. And and that's why so many men are, are attracted to pornography and that other filth. But when we come to Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit is sufficient if we will let him govern our lives to put that in the past so that it's not the dominant influence in our life anymore. And we then cease to be worldly and become spiritual keep on reading I gave you milk now he's using milk instead of meat he said not solid food I gave you milk and not solid food for you were not ready for it in other words he was saying you were not mature enough to eat solid truth you had to have just the rudimentary simple stuff indeed You're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, well, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God gave, made it grow. So he's, he's really getting finally down to this and saying, is Christ divided? The answer obviously is no. Then why are the divisions among you? And he's spelling it out here. Number one, he said there are jealousies. That's in verse 3. What were they jealous about? I only know one thing from the text, and that's who baptized them. Well, I was baptized by the apostle Paul. Well, ringy-dingy-roo, Paul would say. What's that got to do with anything? I'm glad he said I didn't baptize anybody except couple of names and he said maybe somebody else I don't remember because I didn't come as a baptizer I came as a preacher of the gospel it is my opinion now that I'm going to state I personally believe that if you are the individual that the Holy Spirit uses to lead someone to Jesus Christ I think you probably should do the baptizing there's nothing in the Bible that says who should be should you be an elder deacon preacher whatever it's not there And therefore, we have the freedom to say who we... So I encourage people. Well, you say, well, what if it's a woman? Hey, a woman can poke them under the water probably better than most men because they've been doing dishes and dieties and everything else that way for a long time. I don't think that matters. Those are silly jealousies that mean nothing. Then he goes on and he says, there are personal quarrels. Now, the only per, there are two or three personal quarrels in the arguments in the New Testament. Paul had a, a, a big argument in one instance, and, and, uh, and so that's recorded. In the book of Philippians, there's an interesting spat there that I'm going to talk about in a minute between two women. And it doesn't say what they're fighting about, but they're having what I call a cat fight. A lot, and and we'll talk about women and just end a little bit better. Then he says, I can't give you meat to eat because I'm giving you... I can only give you milk because you're still behaving like babies. And in many churches, as it was in the book of Hebrews when you read that, they had never gotten the past baptism and the Lord's Supper and a few other things. That's, they were still stuck there. And so he's, he's admonishing them and he is... He is criticizing them you've got to do better the world needs to see who God is and how do you know who God is God said I know you're all confused about God so I'm sending my son who is God in the flesh to show you who I am so quit behaving like babies Get to the place. You're still worldly, he says. Now then, let's go to to what... When you have a church with this kind of dissension within the ranks, what are the results? Well, if you go over to chapter 6, you'll see... It's an interesting thing to me because I never thought about it until I started studying the New Testament. But here in chapter 6 and verse 7 it says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not just be wronged? Why not rather just be cheated than to go to court between two Christians and have a pagan judge to determine what you should do? What kind of witness is that? He's saying, "It's better off to lose a few bucks than to than to go and and what?" So, so you say, "Well, what if there are differences? How should we handle it?" You would be shocked if you knew how many instances there are. People here who could stand up and testify, but it would—I don't want to get into that—of individuals that could even gone to jail, but we. We sat down with the leadership of the church and and uh, with the individual who was wronged and some other people, and we sat there and we came. But you don't do that until the, all the parties involved agree that whatever and it, we put it in writing, whatever the, the, we determine, they will accept and live by it. It keeps it out of court, and it works. And there are people here sitting here today who are beneficiaries of that process. We should never go to court one against the other if we're believers in Jesus Christ. Ends up in the paper. It's it's a terrible testimony. But that happens when there are divisions in the body of Christ. And money and other things are more important than the unity of the body of Christ. Then there had, and this really gets interesting... I think, anyway, when you go over to the 11th chapter, there is, if you notice in your the outline, there was just total corruption at the Lord's Supper. Now, one of the things that we do here that's a little different than many of the churches in, in our area is we have communion every week. Why? Why? because they did that in the New Testament era. That was the way it was done. Some said, well, what, doesn't that get old? I don't know, it doesn't to me. But, uh, and, and I have people who criticize that and say, well, we do it once a month, once a quarter, of, and some, I don't think they ever get around to it. But in the New Testament, Acts 2.42, it's obvious they did. That all changed during the Reformation era where some people said, well, the Catholics have Mass every week, which is their Lord's Supper. And since they do it that way and we hate the Catholics, we're not going to do it that way. And they made the change. Hey, I don't give a hoot what somebody else does. It's what does the word of God say that we should be governed by. And so at the Lord's Supper, listen to their behavior. This was in the city of Corinth. Most of these folks, there were a few Jews in that congregation. Most of them were Gentiles who had been one to Christ. Starting at verse 17, listen at their behavior. There's, this is kind of lengthy, so listen at least with one ear. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings, that's their church meetings, do more harm than good. Now, how would you like for somebody to tell you that? This is tough stuff, but their behavior requires discipline. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe that this is true. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper you eat? For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting on anyone else. And what it really was, the rich people, see, they didn't have church buildings. They all met in people's homes, and they usually met at night. And the reason they met at night is because many of them were slaves. And they had to work during the day, and the master wouldn't let them free except at night. And so they would come together at night and meet in somebody's homes, and they would have a carrying supper. Now, they did that because when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was after they had eaten the Passover meal. And so to duplicate that, they called their meal the, the agape meal. That's a the Greek word for love. It was a love meal. Only problem was that people there didn't love one another. And it was an embarrassment. Listen as I go on. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting on anybody else. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. Yes, they use real wine at communion and at their supper. Don't you have homes to eat and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received of the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now then... Now, this is following. This is where the, it, we get what the English call a sticky wicket. It really gets tough. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes again. Therefore, and you remember what I've told you about. Therefore, he's saying all of this stuff that I've told you before leads up to this conclusion. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and he drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Well, what's the judgment? See, judgment means that you condemn somebody and you suggest what the penalty should be. Some people say, you know, judgment is is just saying something bad about it. No, it's worse than that. It's not only saying something bad about it. A judge not only condemns what's wrong, he he sentences the individual. So whenever the word judgment is used, it carries both of those connotations. Now, listen to what he says. Here's the judgment. This is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's his kind way of saying, you died. But he says, if you'll judge yourself before you eat and drink. Because you've got all you can do taking care of your old self. Now, so he he condemns them. That's the result of divisions. Corruption at the Lord's table. Now let's move on because time waits on no man. Other divisions are caused because of what I refer to as pet doctrines. Many congregations exist apart from everybody else just to promote that pet doctrine. For instance, there's, there's one denomination, and these people love the Lord and they love the book, but they came up with a concept that says that you, once you're sanctified holy, that's supposed to be a second work of grace. Once you get the second work of grace, you're sanctified holy and you never sin again. See, I think they're smoking dope. But they mean well. I'll defend their intentions. But I, and so then they look down their nose at anybody who sins. Because I don't sin anymore. I've been sanctified holy. Rick had bought into that when I hired him here. I had more fun with that. He said, and I'm sanctified holy. And I said, I want to hear about that. He's learned better. But he's a hard head, so it took a while. But he got there. So what were they fighting about? They were fighting about circumcision. Thank God we don't mess with that one anymore. But that was a big deal at the outset because there were those called uh, 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 in, in the church who said, before you can become a Christian, you have to become a Jew. Because Christianity, they saw, was a a segment of Judaism. And in order to become a Jew, the males had to be circumcised. And the first big gathering that they had over an argument in the church recorded in the book of Acts is, "Does does a Gentile, not a Jew, have to be circumcised before he can be baptized? And the answer was no. But that was a big... And there were people... That, the Jew, that those who believe that sent around behind the Apostle Paul to tell people who had been back, well, but you messed up, you should have been circumcised before. And the Apostle Paul really, really, really is tough on those people. We don't have time to get into that. But uh, here in the seventh chapter of the same book, you can see where they were arguing about that. Uh, here in verses 18 and 19, uh, and He says, was a man already circumcised when he was called? And the only calling in the New Testament, by the way, is to the calling to come to Jesus. That's the only one that's there. People in the preaching business So I was called to the ministry. All they're doing is wrapping themselves in religious terminology. There's no such thing in the Bible as that for individuals. The closest you could get to it is when the apostle... Paul was knocked off of his horse and the Lord told him what all he had. He he, he says this. He should, not become un, he, he should not become uncircumcised. He's trying to be cute here. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. It's keeping God's commands that counts, he says. Now, so the, put that behind it. They had another one that I bet most of you never heard of unless you're a pretty good student of Scripture. And they fussed about, they had a discussion about, and it's recorded here in the 15th chapter of the book of, Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians. They were baptizing people as a proxy for somebody who had already died. Okay? Okay, so I've got a grandpa, and I had one of them that was, you know, he drank like a fish. He was a little bitty old fellow with a big long beard, and, 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 and they just had one car, and Daddy would take him downtown to Milford until Grandpa drank so much that he passed out, and then he would bring him home and put him to bed so he could have the car to go get Mother. I found that out later. They didn't tell me that at the doubt said, but that's really the way it worked. So Grandpa dies. So what I do is I go to the church and say, I want to stand in for Grandpa so he can go to heaven. Would you baptize me? That's, and, and, and you say, well, where in the world did you get that? Well, it's right here in your Bible. Look in verse 27. Here's what it says. Uh, 15, I think. Uh, or no, it's 29. Sorry. Now, if there is no resurrection, because the 15th chapter is all about the resurrection, what will those who are baptized do who are baptized for the dead? They were practicing. And did you know that that the Mormon church today still practices baptism for the dead? That's one of their doctrines. See, there are all kinds of pet doctrines. And one of the reasons... One of the other things that they fought about is food. Now, Lord have mercy. Why would you, you know. I was, it's been really interesting with these young folks from Uganda. The, the, they, their, their food there at the orphanage and what we eat here, that's totally different. But the early church fought about food. You know, what did they fight about? Okay, listen carefully. Nearly all of the people there who were one to Christ, who were not Jews, Gentiles, were already a part of a pagan religion, there were, there were temples for healing, there were temples that practiced the glossolalia, of the tongues, there were uh, temples that practiced resurrection they, there were all those pagan temples that, all the, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute, but anyway, and the one and if you belonged to a pagan temple, you were required to take a sacrifice to the priest of the pagan temple and offer that, priest, offer that sacrifice. The animal would be killed. The priest got to pickings, what he wanted. And then the individual who offered the sacrifice would have a little barbecue with his friends. And the meat that was left over, the temple would take downtown to the meat market and sell it really cheap because it was given to them to start with. And so they can undercut everybody else. So what Christians were doing is they would go down to the meat market and buy the cheap meat. It was as good as anybody else. And the, and the, but the Gentiles who were one from the pagan religion where they offered that, said, were taught that, the, devil, that, that the, the spirits of that particular religion uh, lived within the meat. And they still believed that when they became Christians. And so they said, you're eating meat that is full of demons and that's filling your body. You shouldn't do that. So they were fighting over. Now, the apostle Paul says, all of that's foolishness. Meat's good. Pray for it and eat it unless it offends your brother. And it would be better that you were a vegetarian than to cause your brother to stumble. You see, when we love one another, we care as much about that person, as, in some cases, even more than we do ourselves. So here's a new Christian. And they carry with them some silly ideas. But we shouldn't cause them to stumble. Now, let's see where I am. How am I doing here? Oh, if I was doing any better, you'd be jealous. Here we go. Here, so that's the meat offered to idols. Now we come to women. Now, you're going to love me for this one. If there's anything that, and, and see, they had that same problem here in the 14th chapter. F- what do you do with women in the church that are having cat fights and so, on and so on? And now, a lot of Bible commentators, when it comes to women, say that was a cultural thing that has nothing to do with today. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. I don't know. All I know is what the Bible says. And so they were fussing about what, how, what behavior should a woman have at church? Because understand this, in the eyes of God, there, the value of a woman is exactly the same as the value of a man. Because when we get to heaven, there will be no more giving or taking in marriage. All the same, all, evil, all equal. But now, in our world, the roles of a man and a woman are totally different and clearly defined. A man is to love his wife, Ephesians 5, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. My daddy used to say any intelligent woman would walk across hell on a rotten rail to get to a man who loved her as Christ loved the church. I think he's probably pretty close to being right. Right. And in turn, the woman is to respect and encourage her husband to be the leader in the home. Because he can't be the leader without her. If she's his competitor, you got a real problem. He cannot be the leader without her support and encouragement. Can't be done. And yet, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. This is the way God designed it. And if you want it to work well, this is the way you should do it. But in the church at Corinth, the women were wild enough to shoot at. And they were having difficulty in there. So the Apostle Paul says this right out in plain English so that anybody can understand it. I'm not making this up. I'm just telling you this is the way it is. Here's what it says. As in all the... This is chapter 14, starting here in verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder but of peace. He's talking about the ruckus that women are making in the church. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak at the church because it dishonors her husband and makes him look like a dummy. And so in order for for her to show the respect, now, you know, Boy, I tell you what, you talk about something that's not politically correct, you just opened a can of worms here. I didn't, I'm just saying, this is what the Bible says, okay? I'm just telling you what it says. And let me, let me put an aside to this. In our church here and in my church where I grew up at home, same thing. We had men who were deacons, elders, trustees, blah, 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 the things that who could not make a decision without asking their wife I'm going to talk about church business and, and this will sound offensive to some of you but I'm quoting my father my father said women don't wear jockey straps you get the picture he said God in his wisdom asked men to lead the church here's the reason we know now why We know now for a fact that if the head of the household, the man, is one to Christ, 90% of the time, the rest of the family comes. If the woman without the husband becomes a Christian, only 10% of the time, the rest of the family comes. So why shouldn't you put our emphasis on, on winning men? Our congregation will be strong when the day comes when men can go all the way around this big building holding hands all the way around the building and praying and putting up a wall of defense against the devil that would absolutely scare him to death to show up. And that's what we should work to do. And nothing short of that. Now, we have women every once in a while who take offense to this and get their little husband by the ear and say, we're leaving here. We're not going to put up with that. And away they go. I feel sorry for the poor man. Then the other thing they were arguing about was spiritual gifts. And I won't spend a lot of time on this, but if you, in the 12th, um, 13th, and 14th chapter, they talk about spiritual gifts. We're talking, they're, they're actually called... Uh, the, the gloss, uh, among them, there's healing. There's uh, the glossolalia, which is the tongues. There is uh, all of these. And all of these things, there were pagan temples that did the same thing. So the apostle Paul says, so you, you think that you're more spiritual than somebody else because you speak in tongues? Absolutely, I do. And he says, let me tell you what the real thing is. If you speak in tongues and you don't love Agape love. All you do is make a lot of noise that nobody can understand. So zip it. I believe in healing. I do too. But if you you went over to the hospital and healed everybody over there and you don't have the agape, you're just putting on a good show. Because, folks, without love, the rest of it means nothing. Absolutely nothing. See, when love exists, you no longer have racial boundaries. You no longer have arrogance of, of any kind. Because we put the other person's, uh, their, 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 their concerns and what is helpful to them even above ourselves. That's what love does. It denies self in order to bless somebody else because that's exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He denied himself of life in order to die for our sins and give us the assurance of eternal life. Now, if that's not love, brother, I don't know what is. And he said, now, I want you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to go thou and do likewise. That's what he's telling us. And if and when the church ever gets to the place... For the agape love is more important than anything else. We'll be able to sell tickets. And this place would be packed to the gunwale. So what's the cure? Well, take your little idiot sheets out and you, you singers come on up here. Follow this. This is not my doings. I stole this from who knows where. I don't even know where it came from originally. I just think there's some real merit to this and I want you to get your little sheet and look at it with both at least one good eye. Now, and see what we have here. We said the cure is in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. Now then, you're going to get to say this with me because you've written it down and you know it. You have to answer. Fill in the blank. In essentials? In non-essentials? And in all things? All right. Do it one more time and we might have it. In essentials? In non-essentials? In all things? Ah, you're getting there. Now let's go to the last one down here. And I don't know where this came from either, to be honest with you. I just think it has real merit for us to look at. Here's what it says. Because you can only have one authority in the church. And it's not a person. It's no book but the Bible. You ask me what we believe and I'll hand you a New Testament. It is God speaking to us. So there's no book but the Bible. Churches through the history of the church with good reason develop creeds. And the reason they developed creeds is, and the word comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe, is because it, it was many of the people couldn't read and write, but they could memorize a creed to know what they believed. And so th- those things were developed by many denominations, and most of them argue, promote a, a pet doctrine. And so it's no creed but Christ. No book but the Bible. No creed but Christ. No name but Christian. Now then, you get to answer me again. There's no but the Bible, no but Christ, and no but Christian. That's the way I see it. Our Father, we're grateful that you have shown us how to love each other by the way Jesus loved us. And he still does. And oh, how grateful we are. And we pray that each of us can commit in our heart to not only loving each other here within the body of Christ Community Church, but believers everywhere. And Father, give us a passion for loving lost people and bringing them to the same saving knowledge that we've been privileged to enjoy. And have the joy of baptizing people that we bring to Christ. Oh God, Fill our hearts with your presence and your power. And teach us to be known as people who love each other so that the world will know who Jesus is. Dismiss us now, Father, with a sense of your abiding presence. Help us to honor you by the way we love you. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.